This episode contains discussions of animal cruelty, assault, murder, and hanging. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is from the legend of Don Juan Manuel, a folktale collected by Thomas Alibone Janvier. This Don Juan Manuel, senor, was a rich and worthy gentleman who had the bad vice of killing people. Every night at 11 o'clock, when the palace clock was striking, he went out from his magnificent house. As you know, senor, it still is standing in the street that has been named after him, all muffled in his cloak, and under it, his dagger in his hand. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story is the legend of Don Juan Manuel, a local tale from Mexico City collected by American writer and folklorist Thomas Alabone Janvier. Janvier was a translator of both French and Spanish and traveled extensively throughout Mexico, Europe, and the American West. His 1910 collection, Legends of the City of Mexico, brings together translations of folktales, many of which are about specific locations in Mexico City. A few blocks north of Mexico City's historic center, the Socolo. I will be telling the story from the point of view of the story's title character, Don Juan Manuel. The legend describes him as a rich and worthy gentleman who had the bad vice of killing people. And if that isn't a good introduction, I don't know what is. Coming up, we'll meet the Don's first victim. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money. Up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. 
The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. In my youth, I discovered that there was nothing more exhilarating than holding something precious in your hand and then destroying it. All children experience this. You cut a girl's hair when she's seated in front of you, steal a prized comb or bracelet only to break it. You take something desirable and you pull the importance from it. It's beautiful. I will admit that my search for exhilaration went beyond that of my classmates. I remember holding a frog in my hand for the first time. I admired its shiny green skin. Then I closed my fist, feeling the tension of its innards grow as I squeezed. I felt the change as it tried to take in more breath and couldn't. I felt the second it stopped living. There could be no greater power than this. The rest of my life was a dull march through obligations and manners. My brother and I inherited titles on both my mother and my father's sides, New Spain and Old. The result was many dull parties and boring business. Killing animals became the way to bring color and excitement to my life. It was my little secret, indulged on one of my family's estates outside the city. But as time went on, the kills felt as dull as the parties. Even large animals like coyotes eventually lost their luster. I needed a new kind of prey. My first target was a school friend. Artemio was a bombastic fellow with warm blue eyes and a lopsided smile. He was charming and confident and commanded any crowd he was in. There was no better paragon of perfection. Artemio's family had an estate near ours, just over the Lerma River. I followed him there once as he crossed the bridge, keeping to the darkness as best I could. I was clumsy then. My footsteps were too loud. During the hunt, he whipped around to search for me, forcing me to duck into the nearest doorway I could find. But as I stood, trying to remain hidden until the right moment presented itself, my heart pounded in my chest. I could feel adrenaline surging through me. This was what I had been missing. Artemio kept me on my toes. He varied his route and speed until finally, as we neared the path to his home, he started to run and scream. I was grateful that the boy lived on a stretch of nearly isolated land. No one was around to hear us. I reached him just in time, just as he reached the door of his parents' quiet abode and stabbed him through the back. But it wasn't enough for me. I couldn't see him struggle. So I pulled the knife out and turned him around so we were face to face. His eyes widened with the realization that his close friend had harmed him. It was a powerful reaction. Tears dripped down his face, but he said nothing. That. I was disappointed with. I wanted to hear him plead for his life. I wanted to cut off his words with my blade, but he hadn't given me the satisfaction. So I channeled my anger into his death. I stabbed him over and over again, leaving ribbons of red streaming down his body. He was my first true canvas, a 
and I loved painting it. When I'd had my fill, my hands coated in blood and the air smelling of iron, I stopped supporting his weight and let him sink to the ground. His mother found him several hours later and sobbed to me about his death. I was asked to speak at his funeral. I continued in this manner for several decades. I found someone that I admired, and then I stole the life from them. My tutors, my rivals. Ending each of them made me feel bigger, stronger. I was a predator, stalking the jungle that belonged to me and me alone. But even predators grow bored when game becomes scarce. After hunting for so long, there were few left worthy of being my prey. So I headed to the greatest jungle I could think of, Mexico City. The bustle of the plaza and the soothing ring of the church bells covered my footsteps. I made the city mine. And if it was mine, all its citizens belonged to me. This time, I did not seek out men I admired, for there were none left. I had achieved my glory, and now had only a hunger for blood. It was natural, I knew, and as such, I would feed. I found that the best source of prey in my new home was men, always men, and the best time to hunt them was well into the night. It was then that they'd slink about in the darkness, looking for those enterprising ladies of the night. What's thrilling about hunting these men is how they believed themselves to be the predators. They had every wish to keep their identity secret, wearing long cloaks and looking behind their shoulders every few minutes. Their paranoia made them fascinating targets, and the secret nature of their outings made them particularly convenient to kill. Once their families understood the context of their murders, they quickly quieted the news, if they discovered it at all. But what amazed me about these men was the range in their stations. From lowly laborers to dons like myself, they all sought a release I had long ago figured out the best way to satiate. Each night was the same. I would stalk my target until the very stroke of eleven. It was then that I'd approach them and ask for the time. My prey, having heard the clock strike, would respond politely that it was eleven o'clock. It was then that I would smile and say, Senor, you are a lucky man, for you know precisely the hour of your death. Then I would slide my blade into their bodies. No one could hear their screams over the clanging of the church bells. I had never had a close call. My pulse would race from excitement, but never fear. I wondered, sometimes, if there were rumors about me floating around the streets of Mexico City, but the count of my prey never fell. Their shame may have prevented them from conferring with their fellows, but I was never troubled by shame. I walked past priests and officers with no guilt in my mind, and they lowered their eyes in deference. The king of the jungle is passing. Bow your head. Then I became a parent. Of sorts, anyway. I had never liked my elder brother Miguel. If it wouldn't have drawn too much attention, perhaps I would have killed him in my youth. Instead, I allowed him to live and to marry. 
but in the process of having a son, he lost his wife. Not long after, Miguel died of consumption. Then, Diego became my son. And Diego... Diego was different from his father. He was strong of both will and body. He had deep brown eyes and his insubordination to me was somehow charming. We discussed all manner of things from art to politics to God and he was always so sure of himself, a child of principle. I had to respect that. But Diego was more the type to nurture animals than kill them. He was an angel, really. I felt this made him naive, but of course, I kept my hunting a secret from him for years. Then, at the age of 21, he was on his way to becoming a lawyer. Even though he had chosen to defend the downtrodden, I was looking forward to seeing him eviscerate someone in court. One day, Diego told me he was ready to take on his father's title. I wasn't sure how I felt about that. He would be an equal to me then. Don Diego. The idea made me uneasy, for I was plagued with a troubling thought. What would I do if I grew to admire him, if he became a rival? The possibility made my blood go hot. After he told me the news, I placed my cloak over my shoulders and set out for the town centre. I needed a kill. A few solitary lights glowed along the streets, but still it was dark, and there were no people around. I felt nervous, an emotion I hadn't felt on my hunts in at least 30 years. But I would not dwell on it, and kept my stride swift along the stone. I knew that if I could just find my target, everything would fall away. I would not think of Diego and his desire to leave. Across the square was a man dressed in shadows. He wore a black hooded cloak and had on a pair of black gloves. He was approaching the side of the church, no doubt in search of a rendezvous. Many of the women preferred to work behind the sacred building as it allowed them to reach sanctuary quickly if they needed it. I crept around the other side of the building, passing the women as they waited for clients. The dark figure had moved into an alley as the bell began to toll. I moved swiftly to cover the distance between us and sighed. Unfortunately, there would be no opportunity tonight for me to ask my prey for the time. I had to move quickly before the clock finished its chiming. As I reached the man, I noticed that he wore a mask over his eyes. Fools in their theatrics were rarely parted. I dashed forward, unsheathing my blade, and quickly carved it into his cheek. He made a noise, primal and fearful. The wound was barely enough to scratch the surface, but I could feel the terror radiating off of him. I pulled the knife out of his cheek and watched the blood gush. Then I ran the blade into his chest and felt the crack of his sternum. The man struggled to say something, his voice low and guttural. Please, I... Take what you want. He shouldn't have been able to speak. For the first time, I hadn't struck true. The bells were still ringing, but I had not timed it correctly. He could scream. One of the women could hear him, maybe even the priest. 
The man muttered something that only the wind could hear, but I saw true devastation in his eyes. His eyes. I had seen those eyes before, maybe. But I ignored it and stabbed at his throat again and again. Then I was covered in blood, as I had been many times, but for some reason there was no longer any beauty in it. The body fell to the ground, the eyes empty but still looking at me, pleading in a way that felt too familiar. It chilled me. I ran through the streets as fast as my legs would carry me back to my home. Then I retreated to my study and downed a bottle of brandy. My sleep was deep and dreamless that night. Early the next morning, I awoke to the incessant pounding of a fist against the front door of my home. I prayed that whoever it was, my servants would handle the matter quickly. Moments later, the head of the servants approached my chamber and delivered the news I hoped never to hear. An officer is at the door, senor. Diego has been found dead in the streets. My mind reeled. I heard those bells from last night ringing, and my nephew's eyes pleading as I stabbed him over and over again. Coming up, the Don's penance has an unexpected cost. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and I'm hosting the new limited series, Hollywood Scandals. We all know that Tinseltown is the land of glitz and glamour, but look closer past the allure of bright lights and red carpets. There, you'll find a more disturbing tale, one filled with tragedies and transgressions so damaging they've turned hopes and dreams into high-profile nightmares. Every Monday on this Spotify original, discover the real-life dramas of some of entertainment's biggest names. From the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood and the murder trials of comedian Fatty Arbuckle to the star clients of Hollywood madam Heidi Fleiss. Each episode of Hollywood Scandals has been curated from shows across the ParCast network, covering over a century's worth of controversies, from the silent era into the digital age. Fame and fortune may be fleeting, but scandals, they stand the test of time. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Hollywood Scandals. Listen free only on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, back to the story. As the officer spoke, I felt as if all my nightmares had come true. I had killed my nephew. But the officer was all business. 
He understood the danger of implying that the son of a don had been found in a dark alley of the plaza where women of the night congregate. And yet, what he said next made it hurt even more. The women all know him, sir, but not as a customer. He was their protector. There were rumors of a killer on the loose, and they were frightened. They called him the angel. I believe he hid his face behind a mask in order to protect you. I listened as the officer continued to relay what he had found, all the while concealing my emotions behind a solemn expression. After my servants had escorted the man out, I took to my study and locked the door. I was shocked. All this time, I had hidden my bloody hobby from Diego, protecting him, I thought. And for some time, he'd been out there protecting others from me. How long had this gone on? My faith in the laws of heaven and earth had been shaken. If God can take life into his own hands and we are made in God's image, I'd always felt I was allowed to do the same. But Diego's death was different. He wasn't prey. I couldn't help but feel that I was being punished. I wasn't scared of being discovered by silly peasants like the officer. To him, I was untraceable. But it wasn't human retribution that worried me. I had attended confession every week since I was a child. I never lied, only omitted. But perhaps Diego's alter ego, the angel, was a sign. A sign that the laws of the Lord were less malleable than I believed. Perhaps I belonged in hell for what I had done to Diego. But this was all temporary. Penance was still possible. Penance was necessary. Each moment without Diego was torture. I could not stomach the thought of it for days, let alone eternity. I needed to secure my place in heaven immediately. I went to the chapel of Santo Domingo and headed straight for the confessional. After nearly a lifetime of withholding my sins, I began to confess them in great detail. The truth came pouring from my lips, much like blood poured from my prey. Then, in stuttering words, I begged for forgiveness. The priest was silent for what felt like hours. In that time, I felt I was losing my mind. Had I committed a crime too horrible to be forgiven? Surely there could be no such thing. Perhaps Diego had intervened, asking some angel to bar me from penance. Oh, how I hated the thought of Diego never wanting to see me again. When the priest spoke, his voice was steeled with conviction. Kneel beneath the gallows and the plaza outside the church. Pray the rosary. All will be accounted for, now and in the future. I broke into sobs, thanking the priest for such an easy sentence. There could be nothing more simple. I would say the rosary for the rest of my life if it would spare me. I resolved to carry out the command that night. This was for Diego and the Lord to see, no one else. I purchased a new set of rosary beads at the church. They were scarlet red with gleaming small gold spheres between. Then I waited. When that solitary hour of the night finally approached, I stood high on the wooden platform of the gallows and looked out into the dark. From my position, I could not see anyone. There was only the empty noose beside me, hanging low for the next sinner in the morning. I kneeled down, feeling the scratch of the rope brush against my arms. 
I ignored the sensation, focusing instead on the smooth beads in my hand, reminding myself how simple the rosary was. Such a gentle penance. I made the sign of the cross and began the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. A thousand whispers flooded my ears. I looked up, startled, but there was no one there. So I kept reciting the Apostles' Creed, rubbing my hands over the smooth red bead in attempted meditation. I forced myself to contemplate on the nature of God, the kindness in his mercy, and his understanding of my failings. But the whispers continued to build around me. There were too many of them for me to make out what they were saying, and they were distracting me from my goal. Twice I lost myself and had to start over. I closed my eyes to concentrate. I reached for the next bead, but the texture had changed. It was slimy. When I opened my eyes, I nearly dropped the rosary. Each shiny lacquered bead had been replaced by an eyeball. The first had a clear blue iris, the next a familiar warm brown. Diego's eyes. The voices in the air coalesced. They built up to a single word, repeating in unison as though they were a choir. Murderer. in my ears. I wanted to flee, but I willed myself to stay. If this was my punishment, I would see it to the end and continue my penance. I leaned back on my knees. Something was scratching me, like the feeling of sharp fingernails scoring my skin. I tried to lean myself forward, away from the sensation, but I found my movement was restrained by something. Those scratching fingers were holding my neck in place. Aggravated, I turned to fight them, but nothing was there. I gritted my teeth and moved down to the next grotesque eyeball, convincing myself that this was all some trick of a guilty mind. Once the prayers had been said, the beads would return to smooth gems. I brought the rosary up to my face, but some of the eyes had begun to cave in as they decomposed. The smell of rot filled the air. I fought past my revulsion and finished the Our Father. The fingers returned and dug even further into my neck. They gripped me so tightly at times that I could barely speak, but I would not stop. I had to make this all end. My guilty mind was strong, but the word of God was stronger still. I finished the Hail Marys. Glory be to the Father. I rushed through the prayer as fast as my lips would move. I needed this to be done. I needed forgiveness. I said the glory be to Diego's unblinking brown eye. It watched me with something that felt like disgust. I could feel tears well in my eyes, but I refused to blink them away. I would not break the gaze of my beloved nephew. The air was growing thinner. I clenched my teeth and pushed the words out. Hail, the Queen, Mother of Mercy, turn then, most gracious advocate, your eyes of mercy toward us, and after this, our exile. The floor fell out from under me as I started the last prayer. 
Oh, Clement. Oh, loving. I attempted a breath, but those scratchy fingers clawed at my throat, leaving nothing behind. I felt my feet leave the ground, but I didn't know how. A million voices drowned out the rest of my prayers, and then I felt something crack. From a sudden distance, I saw my body swinging from the gallows. And still, in death, I see it now. My victims stand on the platform, watching with disaffected smiles. Diego is among them, wreathed in white light. An angel. I know there is no absolution for me now. Perhaps there never was. In some ways, Thomas A. Janvier's Legends of the City of Mexico reads like a collection of urban legends. The stories within the book are tied to real places with fantastical elements drawn from Mexico's culture, Spanish Catholicism and imperialism, and native Mexican society. Although Janvier's story focuses on one man and his sins, the legend of Don Juan Manuel is also a time capsule of Mexico City in the 1600s, a place where the Spanish, indigenous people, and Mestizo lived in a complicated balance of power. The Don believes he can operate with impunity because, as a wealthy Spaniard, for all intents and purposes, he can. The real Don Juan Manuel, who the story is likely based on, was a nobleman of Spanish blood. In this tale, he relishes in the killing of those he considers to be members of the underclass. And though his heritage and societal position means he is given a seemingly light penance by his confessor, ultimately, he is punished by the forces of God. The legend suggests that while man-made institutions may forgive the violent trespasses of the elite, the spiritual world will never turn a blind eye. The dawn is hanged in the square for all to see, destroyed by a force far more powerful than any priest or king. There is no escape from judgment, not in this world and not in the next. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil De Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Hey there, Carter again. Before you go, remember to check out my new podcast limited series, Hollywood Scandals. In anticipation of the Oscars, we're unearthing some of the most sordid controversies in showbiz history. 
Tune in every Monday. Follow Hollywood Scandals free only on Spotify.